0: Good morning, and welcome to your Friday Five, a weekly newscast from the Boston University News Service. It's December sixth, two 2019, and I'm Susanna Sudborough. And I'm Hannah Harn. Today we'll take a
1: look at our top stories from this week, including deer collision data, the Harvard graduate student strike, and new tools for gene editing. Let's get started so you can start your day. On a midsummer
0: night on Interstate 495 North, Emily E. was driving home from work when her car, a 2013 Toyota Corolla, was totaled. The cause? A deer. Sorry, can you do that last part again? My stomach just crawled so loud. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> um, just do, like, the whole... The cause thing? From,
1: like... Just do the whole first sentence again. Okay. The whole first line. Thanks.
0: Pick up. On a midsummer night on Interstate 495 North, Emily Ijams was driving home from work when her car, a 2013 Toyota Corolla, was totaled. The cause? A deer. It jumped right into my driver's side headlight, Ijams said. I would have expected it to swerve my car out of the lane, so obviously I was really lucky. No one was hurt except the deer, but the car behind her pulled to the side of the road with her to wait for a tow truck. Ijams is not alone. Every year, hundreds of drivers in Massachusetts collide with deer. Deer are found in both suburban and urban areas and can be a hazard to drivers. More than 2,000 incidents have occurred since January 2016, according to Massachusetts State Police. As of September 2019, 465 collisions have already been reported, which is on track to be higher even than numbers reported last year. There's been approximately 50 more cases each year. 626 collisions reported in 2016, followed by 674 collisions in 2017, and 726 in 2018. This pattern could be due to more people reporting collisions, not because of population changes for deer, said David Steinbrook, a deer and moose project leader for Massachusetts Division of Fisheries and Wildlife. Drivers are not required to call the police for a deer collision, so the actual number of collisions that occur may be much higher than the current data. Also, areas with fewer or no collisions could possibly be due to people not reporting the incidents. State Farm Insurance estimated last year that the number of filed insurance claims due to collisions with deer is more than 10,000 for Massachusetts residents from 2017 to 2018. In addition, more than 50 of the reported collisions between January 2016 and September 2019 involved police cruisers. I can tell you anecdotally that it's not uncommon for us to respond to reports of deer strikes that result in damage to vehicles, said Lieutenant Thomas Ryan of Massachusetts State Police. This story was contributed by Lillian Eden.
1: Legislation designed to restrict the use of a popular pesticide that is harming the state's bee population is moving forward after a successful statehouse hearing. The Legislature's Committee on Environment, Natural Resources, and Agriculture voted this week to advance an act to protect pollinators following its hearing last week. The legislation was introduced in January and is sponsored by State Representative Carolyn DeKema. One of the key features of the bill is more restrictions on neonicotinoid use, especially by those who are not professionals. Neonicotinoids, or neonics, are insecticides that are chemically related to nicotine and are applied either to the soil or sprayed on plants. The insecticide gained traction due to its effectiveness, as well as the low toxicity to vertebrates. However, recent research suggests that these pesticides are harmful to some pollinators, particularly bumblebees, which are about two to three times more sensitive to neonics toxicity than honeybees. Nonetheless, neonics are the most widely used pesticide worldwide, but they have already been banned in some places, including across the European Union. Neonics are not the only threat that the legislation addresses. The bill also considers land and foraging space for native pollinators. Habitat protection is critical for bee conservation, according to Joan Millam, a research fellow at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, who studies native bees. Land conservation at the local, state, and federal levels is critical for bee conservation, as it protects bee habitats. Homeowners can live with bees, even with lawns, if they agree not to spray herbicides, Milam said. Takema's legislation would require MassDOT to consider planting more forage along solar developments on state-owned land near highways. And the most recent update to the Solar Massachusetts Renewable Target, or SMART, includes pollinator forage incentives for private development as well, she said. This act comes nearly two years after a previous bill, which was also sponsored by Dakema and targeted neonics use, failed to receive support out of the House Ways and Means Committee. This story was contributed by Lindsay Vickers.
0: A game of Legos, toddlers' cries and giggles, and framed photos of children filled the State House Tuesday afternoon as lawmakers considered bills that seek to change or eliminate non medical exemptions for vaccinating school children. One of the bills, sponsored by Representative Andre Vargas, calls for the end of a state law that allows a child to attend school or daycare without immunizations if the parent or guardian cites religious beliefs. Current law allows religious exemptions unless there is an emergency or epidemic declared by the Department of Public Health. The science is settled and agreed upon by all major scientific and health institutions of the world, said Vargas in his testimony. It is not a religious right to put other children at risk in the Commonwealth. This year, the World Health Organization listed vaccine hesitancy in its top 10 threats to global health. If Vargas's bill is passed, Massachusetts would join New York, West Virginia, California, Mississippi, and Maine in eliminating non-medical exemptions for vaccinating schoolchildren. New York removed the exemption amidst the measles outbreak this past September, while California outlawed personal and religious exemptions in 2015. Vargas's legislation is just one of three that went before the legislature's Committee on Public Health. Representative Paul Donato and Senator Rebecca Rausch presented their visions of the bill, both entitled An Act Promoting Community Immunity. The Massachusetts Chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics, Massachusetts Chapter of the American College of Physicians, and the Massachusetts Health and Hospital Association all expressed support for Vargas's bill and the removal of religious exemption. The science is settled... Religious exemptions need to be abolished so that children in our state can have a safe, healthy environment in which to learn and play, said Elizabeth Goodman, a pediatrician. This story was contributed by Anastasia E. Lennon. Harvard graduate student
1: workers are preparing to strike next Tuesday after failed negotiations with the university over fair pay, comprehensive health care, and protections from harassment and discrimination, the union said. Despite rallies, petitions, and a sit-in, Harvard administrators have dismissed student workers' calls for a strong and comprehensive contract, a press release from the Harvard Graduate Students' Union, UAW, said on Monday. The announcement comes nearly six weeks after 2,425 of the union's estimated 4,500 members voted to authorize a strike. Of those who voted, around 90 percent voted yes. We have exhausted all other options, and we are frustrated by Harvard's consistent refusal to provide the basic rights and protections we are seeking, said Jenny Ostiff, a Ph.D. student in organismic and evolutionary biology, in a press release Monday. We are ready to strike to show that we are serious about the urgent necessity for fair pay, health care, and protections from harassment and discrimination. According to Rachel Sandalow-Ash, a third-year law student and research assistant, the union has been negotiating their contract with the university since they voted to form in April of 2018. Both parties met for a bargaining session on Monday, but were unable to reach an agreement on compensation and benefits. The spokesman provided Harvard's official statement regarding the strike in an email to the BU News Service on Monday. The statement said the university continues to feel the strike is unwarranted and will remain engaged in negotiations. A strike will neither clarify our respective positions, nor will it resolve areas of disagreement, the statement said. The strike will begin a week before Harvard finals, during which graduate student workers will not perform their traditional work duties, according to the union statement. This includes holding office hours, administering exams, and grading work. Harvard's statement said that the university began planning a contingency plan for the strike weeks ago and will work to ensure as little disruption as possible to exams in the remaining weeks of the semester. This story was contributed by Sammy Purcell.
0: We need to think of biology at a bigger scale. In comes automation. Brian Schneider, Senior Territory Account Manager at Synthego, said last week as he pitched the idea of making biology a data science with gene editing tools at the 5th International Conference on Drug Discovery, Development, and Lead Optimization. With topics ranging from cutting-edge research on drug development for cannabis to HIV treatment and efficient gene editing— Researchers and practitioners gathered from all over the world for a three-day conference in Newton to network and spark conversation. Synthego, like other companies and startups on the forefront of biotech, uses CRISPR-Cas9, a gene editing tool that has been making waves in the science community since it was co-developed at the University of California Berkeley in 2012. The development created controversy, though, after a legal battle over whether the Massachusetts Institute of Technology was first to patent the groundbreaking tool. Not all rumors have been good. In November 2018, Chinese scientist He Jiankyu revealed his plans to gene edit babies, spreading ethical concerns about what gene editing could do when cells are passed down to future generations. The potential of CRISPR-Cas9 is nevertheless indisputable. The bioengineering tool allows gene editing on DNA and even could be used to reverse life-threatening disease, including HIV and cancer, according to Synthego reports. The conference convened at a time when technology and drug development is innovating fast. Schneider said making biology a data science is key in making gene editing efficient. Our ability to study biology is very limited, he said. The next level is to create a screen pickup. The next level is to create a screening platform where researchers design or experiment on their computers, send it to us, and then we return insight data. Companies like Synthego aim to optimize gene editing by collecting data in a biology insight factory that gives its users quantitative feedback immediately. We collect a ton of data with thousands of experiments in parallel, trying to make biology a true data science that can shorten the drug discovery timeline, Schneider said. This story was contributed by Anna Sternquist. And that's it for your Friday Five. Thanks for tuning
1: in. This will be our last episode for the semester, but make sure to check back in the spring. For the full versions of this week's stories, visit BUNewsservice.com slash podcasts and click on today's episode.
0: We'd like to thank today's contributing writers. Lillian Eden, Lindsay Vickers, Anastasia E. Lennon, Sammy Purcell, and Anna Sternquist, as well as our production team. This week's episode of Friday Five was produced by Hannah Harn.
1: And be sure to check out our latest episode of Between the Bylines, where we sit down with our contributors to discuss our top stories through the lens of student journalism. Visit us online at bunewservicecom slash podcasts for more information.